may be seated this morning. And as you do that, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 6. We only have two more messages out of the book of Galatians, and we will wrap up our study through Galatians. We've entitled The Heart of the Gospel. So today we will look at verses 6 through 10 of Galatians chapter 6. Next week we will pick up in verse 11 and we will finish Galatians chapter 6. And then in the in the summer months, once we finish with our study in Galatians, we will move on to a study in the first several chapters of the book of Revelation, looking at the seven letters to the seven churches that are written in the early chapters of the book of Revelation. So that'll be exciting. I hope that you'll make plans to be here this summer. Uh, I'm going to play the role of Captain Obvious uh, this morning a little bit, but uh, have you noticed that it's rained a little bit, right? Uh, in fact, some of you may have not driven to church this morning. Maybe you, maybe you uh, rode the boat in, you know, maybe you parked and swam part of the distance. Uh, I know that there's a lot of flooding around. Don't you love it that as they're covering this on the news last night, of course, the coverage of Chickasha just happens to be all of the people trying to drive through it, and it just makes us look so redneck and backwards, I guess, right? Uh, and you want to say that's really, it's just, it's a small few, but uh, nonetheless, that seems to be always why we end up on the news. Someone doing something, well, I, I don't know a better word other than just uh, redneck for it, you know. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I, I do, even though that's kind of, you know, silly and, and we make light of that, I, I don't want to make light of the fact that for many, there's been real damage. And, and so I just want to say that our thoughts are with those whose homes maybe are affected, uh, that maybe your, your businesses are affected. And, and in reality, more than just our thoughts being with you, if, if you know of someone or maybe if you are the someone who, whose home or whose business is either being threatened by floods, because they say, that especially with the rivers, that the worst hasn't actually happened yet, may still be on its way. And uh, beyond that, uh, if, you, if you are that person, if you know someone, we want to be able to help. So uh, particularly, the, like, for example, this morning, one that I know of is Jerry and Michelle White, who their, uh, their home out on, on the way toward, you know, between Ninaka and Rush Springs, the river is up out their direction, and, and they were thinking that there was a possibility their home was going to flood this morning, and so they were moving furniture up on the second floor, what they could and trying to move cars and equipment and things out of the way. And, and, and that's, uh, that's the one I know of. Gladys Scripture is another who lives out toward Verdon, whose house sits really close to the river. And so if you are aware of someone, again, if you are that someone, let us know. We want to do what we can to help. If, if we can rally some folks who are in the church to help you, if there's something we might be able to do, we want to be able to help in that way, okay? So uh, I mean that in all sense, even though we make light of the rain and, and the flooding and some of that. And, in all sincerity, if, if you've been affected or know someone that's affected uh, in, in the church, please let us know, and we want to we rally and help in whatever way we can, okay? Uh, Galatians chapter 6 this morning is, in, 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 a very, in a very broad sense, what's happening is Paul is wrapping up the study to Galatians, and where, we, where it's a study now as we're looking back on it. Of course, at the time, it was a letter that he's writing, and as he's finishing his letter, as he's winding down the way that you often do when you write a letter to someone or compose an email to someone, as you begin to kind of wrap things up, you draw it to a close. You begin to pull things together, and that's exactly what Paul is doing here in his study 
rather our study through Galatians, he's pulling things together, drawing things to a close. And so he is giving some instructions that are intended to take what he's already given, the instructions he's already giving, and, and draw this all together in a way so that he can put a final period on it, right? This is the way that we do things when we write letters or emails, or this is how we write as well. And so what we find in these last few chapters is that Paul gets pretty practical about his instruction, and he is taking the concepts of the gospel and understanding and believing in the gospel rightly, and now he's applying it to our lives, particularly in our relationships with each other. And so the passage that we studied last week, we saw in chapter 6, how we ought to live with each other, how we ought to work to restore those who have fallen, how we should bear one another's burdens. These are instructions about how we should live together as the body in light of our understanding of the gospel. And we saw this last week, that when we understand the gospel, it always affects our relationships with others. Believing the right things always bears itself out in the way that we live and most especially in our relationships with each other. And we'll see more of that this morning in this passage that we will study, and in particular, this passage that we're studying this morning, I I think we see that as we connect the dots in these relationships that we have, it draws us back to the, the idea of biblical community, Christian community, which is something that we talk about a lot. And essentially, I would say that when we talk about community, really what we're talking about is the relationships that we have inside of the, the, the body, inside of the church here, that we are a community of sorts. And so community happens on a larger level when you think of the church body as a whole, when you think of the, the family of the church, if you like thinking of it that way, or, or the body even. Those are both analogies that the New Testament scripture uses to describe the church. But also the community can be pared down to the smaller levels as well. The, the few individuals that you live in the closest connection with, whether that is your Sunday school class, whether it's even even smaller group, uh, a subset of people, maybe even within your Sunday school class, the, the group of people that are closest to you and that you share the most with, that's, that's your community in that sense. And what Paul is writing about here, the instructions that he gives us, I think have to do with how we live in community with one another. Now, in this passage, particularly in this passage this morning, I think Paul is addressing some blind spots. All of us have what I would call blind spots in our life, gaps, if you will, places where we fall short. Weaknesses might be another way that we think of or describe those blind spots, those areas in our life that we need other people who see things the way that they really are and not just the way that we want them to be through the rose-shaded glasses that we often put on where we see everything in our life as maybe better than what it really is and we see things the way that we want them to be. We think of ourselves as the best version of ourselves, right? It's kind of that Instagram kind of reality where what we what we think of is the best version when people put pictures on Instagram or on other forms of social media. Rarely do they put you know, the, the pictures that make them look bad, right? So they've taken a lot of pictures and carefully edited them and used filters or whatever that might give the best version of reality that they want everyone else to see, but it, oftentimes that's not what's real, right? It's, it's, a, it's a, a created perception of reality. And the truth is that often we think of ourselves or we treat our own lives in a similar way. 
the best version of ourselves and of our lives. What Paul is writing about here is he's writing about some blind spots that existed in the church and speaking that truth into our lives as well today through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that even for us today, this many, you know, several hundred, almost 2,000 years later, that this continues to speak into the blind spots, the gaps in our life. And so I've been thinking about these gaps in my own life this week. One of the things that I've drawn a connection with as I've been thinking about that is with all the rain, all the water, you know, the, the rain seems to find its way. If there's any little gap, if there's any little place where water can get in when it rains this much, water gets in, right? So maybe you've not ever had a, a leak someplace before, but when it rains this much, leaks show up. In fact, I spent a good part of this morning during the Sunday school hour walking around our building trying to help troubleshoot gaps, trying to help troubleshoot little spots where we've got drips here or there, or leaks or waters come under a door. So, you know, when, when there's this much water, it exposes those gaps. Well, in, in a very similar sense, in all of our lives, there are gaps. There are places that we might be blind toward or even altogether ignorant of. And the Word of God speaks this truth that is intended to expose those areas. And through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that works as we study the Word of God, I, I think He's going to show us those places in our life that we need to revisit, those places that we need to surrender to the Lord, that we need to have other people in community who are speaking truth in our life and helping us to see things for what they really are and not just what we want them to be. And this passage this morning speaks to that. So as we study through this, and you'll be able to follow along with your worship guide on the backside where you can take notes, there are four different areas, four different uh, categories, if you will, that are addressed in this passage this morning that I want us to see that all relate to the, the idea of living in biblical community together and how sharing life together centered around God's truth, around the gospel, uh, will, will make all of us better in our lives. And so let's read this passage together and then look at the study of the text that we have. Verse 6, he writes, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from the flesh will from the flesh reap this corruption. And the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so the first thing that I want us to see as we study this passage this morning really relates to our discipleship. And so in verse 6 particularly, we see his, his, instructions, his, his instructions to the, the body here, the, these churches in Galatia, these believers in these churches in Galatia, and he's, the instructions that he's giving them really speak to the heart of their discipleship and the processes of discipleship. And so he writes in verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now there are multiple levels of how we should understand this and and. and look at what he's writing here. So let me kind of work sort of systematically through these, these levels. If I can think of it this way, let me peel back the layers, so to speak, of this verse. First of all, 
he references here both the one who is taught the word and the one who teaches. And both of those words in the Greek language are based on, on the, the, Greek, uh, the Greek root or the, or the Greek word from where we would get our word catechumen. And a catechumen is uh, someone who is taught, right? If you grew up maybe in certain traditions that practice what they call catechesis or a catechism, it's a formal set of teaching or instruction. Oftentimes you'll go through it maybe in your, in your you know, sort of your, your formative years in and around, your, around the age of 12 and, and in different traditions. And so you go through this cate, catechesis or this catechism and you're taught these these foundational lessons of theology and of, of biblical truth, and then you, from that you are confirmed. If you you know in, in certain traditions or you uh, in other traditions you you know maybe there's a, a ceremony of sorts, but it's sort of this formal understanding that you have now been taught and instructed. And although in Baptist traditions we don't have a formal catechism that we follow, there is an, an informal catechism of sorts. In fact, a lot of our ministries for children are designed to equip our children with, with sound foundation that will serve them well the rest of their life as a believer. And so we're trying to teach them how to study the Word. We're trying to teach them how to read the Word. And it's things like just knowing the Word, knowing the books of the Bible, and how to find a book in the Bible, and not being afraid to open and read and study the Bible, and teaching them truths about the, the, the basic doctrines. You understand, don't you, that we don't approach children and preschool and youth ministry as, as just babysitting your kids. That's not what it is at all. When you send your children to us, we're, we're instructing them, we're teaching them. Even now, we have people who are with our, our little ones in our nursery, and they're holding them, and they're playing with them, but in a spirit of prayerfulness, they're trying to instruct even our youngest ones about God's love and, and His Word and those things, and this is, our, this is a part of our, our catechism, our instruction. Well, that's, we get that word from the, the Greek root of these two words, the one who is taught, the one who teaches. He's talking here about the student and the teacher, or as I would say, the disciple and the disciple maker or the discipler. He, he's speaking here about this relationship that exists between someone who is being discipled and the person who is discipling them. And in all of our lives, there have been people who have been, who have been instrumental in mentoring, discipling, teaching us. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a youth pastor. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a, a parent. Maybe it was a friend's parent. Or there, there have been people who were instrumental, not only in your journey to faith, but also in, in teaching you and instructing you along the way that you might grow in your Christian faith. Even now, probably most of us in the room could identify someone that we look to, that you think of as your, as your example, someone who is your mentor or your teacher of sorts. That's the relationship. That's the connection here between the one who is taught and the one who is teaching. And what he's talking about here is he references this discipleship is that in biblical community, that uh, th there's a relationship between the disciple and the discipler. And so what I've put in your notes is, is this, is that as we think about this in terms of how it relates to our lives and community, we see that biblical community is essential to the process of discipleship. Biblical community is essential to this process of discipleship that God has for each of us. 
that God wants us to grow in our faith. And not only does he want us to grow in our faith, he wants us to follow after him. And he says to his disciples, as he calls them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? Jesus himself pours in the life of his disciples. He sets that example for us. His disciples then pour into the lives of others and raise up others. Paul writes in some of his letters, follow me, imitate me. In Ephesians chapter uh, 5 and 6, he's talking about following the example. And he writes specifically, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ, right? We're to follow that example that's been set for us by those who pour in our lives. And so the idea is that we would both honor the ones who invest in us, but also that we would, that we would learn from that so that we could invest in others. Now, that's one layer here of what's happening, right? Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches, Now, there are other levels to this as well. He's talking specifically as well, I think, about the one who is taught, share with the one who teaches. There's a a, a component of this that's financial in nature because he's talking about the ones who are served, take care of the leaders of the church. So there's a a component of this that's, that's dealing with the leadership of the church and how those who are in the church, who are in the body, ought to take care of those who have given their lives, made it their life's call. Really, God has made it their life's call to serve the body and equip the body. And they're to take care of them so that they can do that work of serving. In fact, a lot of commentators, a lot of scholars would say that this is maybe perhaps the earliest reference that we have in the New Testament to a a, a professional, if you want to think of it that way, or a vocational is a word I would rather use, a, a vocational type of calling to the ministry, because Galatians was one of the earliest books written in the New Testament. And so this is one of those earliest references to the idea of what was developing at this time in the church of those who were vocationally called to serve the body, pastors who would equip. But beyond that, I think more than even just the relationship of pastor or shepherd to the flock or to the church, I think there's a level of this of us honoring those who teach and serve in the roles of ministry in our church. Think about those who give of their time each and every week to study and prepare a lesson so that when you come to Sunday school, there's someone who's ready to teach and bring the word. Think of those who give of their time each week to pour into our youth and our children and our preschool so that we have outstanding programs for them So that we're not just babysitting, but that we're equipping, we're raising up future generations of believers and mentoring and discipling them. Think of the people who have made an investment in your life, who who singled you out, who sought you out and invested in you because they saw potential in you along the way. We ought to give honor to those. We have to, as he says here, share every good thing, all good things. And you know, the greatest way that we can share all good things is when we take up that example and we begin to live it in our own lives. When you begin to make an investment in the lives of others, like the investment that was made in you, I think there's no greater way than to honor the the one who has discipled you, the one who has invested in you, that you would begin to reproduce, that you would begin to reciprocate. And so in the scripture, oftentimes, you find that the, the, the apostles, those who are writing these letters, particularly the the letters themselves, Paul, John, Peter, as they're writing these letters, we see this language that where they refer to their audience as their children or their brothers or beloved. They use these kind of words as they write because these people that they're writing to are dear to them. And anyone who has ever invested in the life of someone else 
would tell you that the people that they, that they pour their life into are dear to them. And there's no better way to honor the, the investment that has been made in you than that you would take up the mantle and begin to invest in someone else. And so there are so many levels here of how this applies to our life, but I think none greater than understanding the role that each of us plays in becoming disciple makers. That the reason we are discipled is not just so that our discipleship would be an end unto itself, but we are discipled so that we might become disciple makers. And so discipleship is essential in our lives, and and biblical community is an essential part of that process of discipleship. So we see discipleship portrayed for us in the instruction that Paul is writing here. But not only do we see how important this discipleship is to biblical community, we also see the idea of deception. Deception in verse 7 and 8. He writes, do not be deceived, right? Now we ought to, we ought to take note because he has said it, I and mean, he can't say it much more plainly than this, he said it clearly. Don't be deceived. So now he's about to tell us what it is that would deceive us. We need to take note of this. He's giving us an, a very clear command, an instruction here. He says, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If you want to reap eternal life, then you have to sow those things. So we see that biblical community exposes the deceptions that lead us astray. When we live our lives in close connection with other believers, and we allow them to speak into the blind spots, the gaps that exist in our life, it exposes for us the deceptions that lead us astray. Sadly, the the reason that many Christians are not reaping a harvest of righteousness is because they're not sowing it in their life. The reason that we look around us and we see so many whose lives in the church are are spiritually anemic and and even border on on, on being dead, that, that there's no spiritual pulse in our lives, is because we are reaping what we have sown. We live in a culture that celebrates the idea of reaping what you have not sown, right? In the world all around us. And we live in an instant society where everybody wants everything now. Like the idea of, you you can finish this phrase for me, right? Get rich quick, right? We we live in a world that that celebrates the idea of, of getting rich quick. And so, especially here in Oklahoma, what have we seen in the last uh, 10 years or so. Casinos pop up everywhere. The lottery is taken off. Those things were supposed to fix our educational systems and all this, right? I mean, it was supposed to be the answer for all the problems. And you can go back before that and it was, you know, it was, uh, maybe it was horse racing or you go back before that and it was something else, right? It was uh, taxes on cigarettes and beer and other things. I mean, it's, there's always supposed to be something that's supposed to fix the problem. But a lot of these things are, are get-rich-quick type of solutions, there are schemes that people have that, well, you know, they, everybody wants to be rich, but nobody wants to have to work hard to get there, right? We just want to win the lottery and someone give it to us. But more than that, think about other things. We want strong families, but very few families spend quality time together, right? We park the kids in front of the TV 
We, we, we're constantly on the go. and Nobody sits down to have dinner together anymore. We're, our lives are, are, are just so fragmented and scattered. And, and we want to have a close family. And we want everyone to, to have close relationships. But we aren't sowing those things in our life. And the scripture says, don't, don't be deceived. You will reap what you sow. More than that, if I can take it another level even deeper than that, Sadly, for many of us, the deepest relationship that we have is with our smartphone, right? The most time that you spend doing anything during the day other than maybe sleeping is staring at your phone and looking what the world has you know, put out there for you to consume. And we become mass consumers of the thoughts and the ideas of people all around us. And I want to pick on this one particularly this morning because... I think that in many ways, this obsession with what everybody around us is thinking and this obsession with sharing things that, you know, 10 years ago nobody cared to share is, is robbing us of spiritual depth in some ways. And, I, and I'm going I'm to sound for a minute uh, old-fashioned, and, and I, I'll just confess that I am in a lot of ways. I'm not a guy that posts a lot to social media, and hear me when I say this, I don't think social media in and of itself is immoral or wrong. I don't think Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter is of the devil. They're just things that exist. But how we use them can become really destructive in our lives. When we begin to just spend these exorbitant amount of, amounts of time staring at a, a screen. How many times do you see people sitting in a restaurant, a family of people sitting in a restaurant, and everybody's looking at their phones? Or how many times do you find that people sit down uh, on the couch together at the house and, and the TV's going, but they've got their phones and they're staring at their devices? Or, or people are in conversations together in groups of people and everybody's got their phone out. And we stay so tethered to these things that they, they rule our lives. I did some, some studying this week, some uh, internet research, which has to be accurate, right? Because they won't put it on the internet unless it's true. But according to several studies that I looked at, and depending on the study that you look at, and depending on the age range that they're surveying, there are studies that show, popular studies that show that people are spending anywhere from... You know, 30 minutes to three hours of day on average on social networking sites. And so, in particular, one study that I found showed that between the ages of about 18 and 35, that a great majority of people in, ages, in, that, in that age range of 18 to 35 spend upward of three hours a day. Now, not all at once, right? You're not doing it all at once. You're not... But, but think of all the little minutes in your day that you fill with a text message, uh, glancing at Facebook, looking at your Twitter feed, commenting on somebody's Instagrams, right? And that it adds up over time. Listen to this. I, I did some math, okay? And, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not a mathematician, and this is just real simple math. And I may have even messed some of it up. I'll confess that. I didn't go back over the numbers or anything. But on the surface, if you spent 30 minutes a day on your phone, 30 minutes a day equals 10,950 minutes a year. That's 182.5 hours a year or a little over seven days a year. 
that if you spent 30 minutes a day on social media, that's more than seven days a year. Seven days a year, a week a year, a, a week of vacation for you a year that you're spending on those things. And, and again, I have accounts on nearly all of those things. That in and of itself isn't evil. But think about it this way. When we do that rather than spending that time in prayer and scripture and meditation, then we have a problem. If you're spending three hours a day looking at social media and maybe at best three hours a week in the word of God and in prayer, then can I just tell you, you will reap what you sow. You'll reap what you sow. And we want lives of spiritual depth, and we want to have lives that, that produce the fruit of the Spirit and, and lives of, that, that show this harvest of righteousness. But if, if we're not sowing that, we won't reap that. And I'm speaking to my generation as much as anyone. Listen to this. If you spent three hours a day on social media, and again, not all at once, because rarely do we do that all at once, Three hours a day on social media is 65,700 minutes a year. That's 1,095 hours a year or 45, more than 45 days in a year spent on those things. How different would your life be if you spent 45 days a year totally saturated in the Word of God? And it came just a little bit at a time, a free moment here or there, moment in prayer, meditating on a word of Scripture, studying the word, reading, practicing the discipline of, of, of reading systematically through Scripture. We live under the deception that we will just wake up one day and be righteous and be holy and produce our lives produce the fruit of the Spirit. But it's time that we wake up and realize that we will reap what we sow. So we have to practice the discipline of sowing righteousness, of sowing those things in our life, spending time in prayer, spending time in the Word, meditating on the truth. And that's where this, the next point comes into play as well, determination. You've figured out by now these are all going to start with the letter D, right? Determination is the next thing, that we have to make a decision, we have to be disciplined and I, I wrestled with whether or not to use the word discipline here or determination, but I, I chose the word determination because it, it comes through a decision and then determining to, to remain faithful and true to that decision that we, would, that we would pursue the things of God. And so biblical community provides accountability for the decisions that we make. Verse 9, we see this. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we do not give up, there's the idea of determination. If we are, if we are determined to remain faithful, to stay the course for the disciplines that God's Word calls us to practice, if we are determined to build accountability in our lives through biblical community so that people are speaking truth into the blind spots in our life, who are helping to show us our weaknesses in those areas in our life where we have been deceived or led astray, we're determined to pursue righteousness, then that's what we will reap in our lives. And 
biblical community becomes very necessary because it provides the accountability that we need for the decisions that we make. And so if you want to remain true to the decisions to follow Christ, if you want to remain true to a decision to study and meditate on the Word of God, then what you need in your life is you need some intentional accountability. You need determination. You need discipline. You need to build these things into your life. You need to, you need to find some people in your world and say, hey, listen, I've been spending too, many time, too much time rather on things that don't matter, and I want to be committed to this, and I need you to hold me accountable. This week, will you call me? Will you, will you, will you seek me out in some way this week? And don't send me a Facebook message, right, because I'm trying to stay off that. But will you seek me out in some way this week, and will you ask me and, and hold me accountable? We need people in our life who will help us to be determined. And again, I, I'm not trying to make Facebook the enemy, because Facebook's not the enemy. Satan's the enemy, but he'll use anything in our lives to lead us astray. And so we need determination. We need accountability. We need people in our life where, where we tend to... Where we tend to uh, to go wrong is we go to the extremes. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the extreme of one extreme is legalism and in the extreme of legalism then everything becomes about you, you compare your life to everyone else and in this extreme of legalism you're, you're competing against everybody else and you always want to be better than your neighbor, right? Better than, than someone else and so legalism drives you. It drives you to be obsessed with what everybody else is thinking and doing because you want to be one step in front of them, one step better than them. And the other, the other extreme that we fall to is the extreme of license. And that just essentially says that everything's fair game. doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I'm just trying to make myself happy, do what feels good, do what seems right. I'm just going to pursue that, th those inward desires. And everything becomes about you. When, you. when you go to this extreme of license, you become your own God. And everything becomes about pursuing what you want and what you desire. Listen, if, if God always says what you think, then you aren't following God, you're following yourself, right? I mean, if you study the Word of God and, it all, and you always agree with the Word of God, then you're not doing it right because it's intended to step on your toes. It's intended to point out your blind spots. It's intended to show you the gaps that exist in your life so that you might bring those under the Lordship of Christ and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you might wage war against your flesh so that you would no longer sow the things of the flesh, but rather you would sow the things of the Spirit. And we need determination to pursue those things. And finally, what this passage points out is the need for devotion. Biblical community builds healthy relationships in our lives that are centered around the gospel. We become devoted, first and foremost, to Christ, to his word, to honoring him as Lord of our lives, but also devoted to each other. And so our lives become devoted to serving others around us. We become devoted to serving th those that we live in community with, serving the body, serving the church, serving those who are lost by intentionally doing things that are intended to reach them with the gospel, right? And so we see this devotion becomes an important practice in our lives. He says in verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and everyone means literally that, right? Everyone. Not just those who 
you stand to gain from not just those who have something to give back, but serve those who have nothing to give you in return. Serve those who could never hope to repay your investment in any way. At least seemingly, right? That we would intentionally serve those who are around us, everyone around us. And that we wouldn't, we wouldn't draw in a, 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 a tight circle where, we, where everyone, is, everyone is facing inward and we become sort of this holy huddle of a church where we're completely focused on our wants and our desires and everything becomes about what we want and what we need and our preferences become the things that we exalt to the point that it doesn't matter what others need, it doesn't matter where they are, we're so inwardly focused. That's how churches die. That's a black hole that sucks the church in. And, and churches die when they begin to sort of circle the wagons and look inwardly and focus on their own wants and desires. We're called to serve those around us. And that includes the body. We'll get to that in a minute. But it also includes those who are not yet a part of the body. That we would intentionally focus on serving those. One of the things that we teach often to our leadership in, in Sunday school and in, in groups is that in today's world, most often people want to belong before they believe. They want to belong before they believe. They want to connect and they want to have a relationship that matters before they make the commitment to believe. And so it's essential for us that in everything that we do, we are always looking for those that we can pull in. That's why we focus on things like starting new groups. That's why we focus on having kind of an open chair philosophy that says there's always a place for someone else who's not here yet. That's why we focus on trying to reach out and, and through, be it through programs or just through, just through life that we are focused on reaching out to others around us is because we are convinced that God has given us a mission to reach our community around us with the gospel and beyond. The community locally and beyond that even, to the ends of the earth, the gospel. And so we serve others by remaining devoted to the gospel. Not only are we to serve everyone, he says specifically, especially those who are of the household of faith, especially those who are part of the family, right? The first family is what I call it a lot. That we would look for ways to serve those who are in this body, to place the, the needs of others, even the desires of others in front of our own, that we, and that we, would, that we would make it our our intention to serve. So how are you serving, right? That begs the question then. How are you practicing this devotion? How are you devoted to others around you and serving and meeting the needs of others around you? The reality is that these things don't happen on their own. You're not going to wake up one day and, and be totally holy and uh, be completely spiritually formed, right? There's a process of discipleship that we have to go through. We need people pouring in our lives, and we need to honor those who've invested in us. And the greatest way we can do that is by growing to the point where we can begin to invest and pour into the lives of others, that every one of us can be easily deceived. And so we need people in our lives who are, who are exposing the, the blind spots, the deceptions that we've, that we've believed the things maybe that we haven't even understood that we've fallen for. You understand what I'm saying? That's what makes them truly blind spots, those places that we, we don't even know 
that we've missed it and we have somehow. We need people who are pointing out the deception. We need determination. We need accountability in our lives. We need devotion, to be devoted to each other, to be devoted to the gospel. And all of these things are byproducts of of biblical community as we live our lives together as the body. As we understand the gospel, and then as we make a commitment to live lives centered around the gospel so that the gospel itself is at the heart of who we are. It's the heart of the gospel again, right? We come back to it every time we study a different passage. The heart of the gospel leads us to be in community with each other. But as we begin to think about how we would respond to this this morning, I want, I want to go back to this one point. These things don't just happen. The one who sows for the flesh will reap of the flesh. The one who sows of the Spirit will reach, uh, rather will reap the things of the Spirit. Can I tell you that in order for you to produce a seeds, uh, or produce rather a harvest of righteousness, you've got to sow seeds of righteousness. If you want to follow God, if you want your life to be spent making a difference for his kingdom and being devoted to him so that your determination will, will drive the decisions that you make so that you will find those deceptions and that you, will, that you will work to surrender those things to the Spirit so that you will also be, be completely engaged in that process of discipleship and making disciples, then you've got to put some seeds in the ground. You've got to sow those seeds in your life. And so today, I pray that God would would prompt you that his conviction would be on you even now about how you need to you need to make some changes in your life. You need to start sowing some new seeds, so to speak. That you would produce a harvest that you have not seen in your life. That that God would do a work beyond what you've seen as you faithfully sow seeds of righteousness. As he says here, sows to the spirit so that you might reap from the Spirit a harvest of righteousness, eternal life, right? So in just a moment when we pray, our altars will be open. We'll have a time of response, a time of invitation, and during that time as we sing that song of invitation, maybe God is working in your life and he's pointing out something specific, a commitment that you need to make, some practices that you need to build into your life, some some blind spots that you've missed, and, and God through the conviction of his Holy Spirit is is showing you these things this morning, would you respond to him by, by bringing some other people in on this, right? Like we talked about. If you need some accountability. You need some people who are going to help hold you to those, those decisions that you've made. You can come this morning and share that with one of our staff who will be here at the front. You can, maybe, maybe you go to someone. Maybe if you've been discipled or mentored by someone and they're in the room, maybe you seek them out and you say, hey, would you pray with me? And You can come and pray here at the altar this morning. But I want to challenge you with this. In whatever way God is prompting you, in whatever way he's leading you this morning, that you would respond in obedience and that you would recognize that we don't just become righteous on our own. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us as we are disciplined, as we are devoted, and we pursue this community that God has called us to as the body. And so after our prayer, as we stand to sing the song,
If God is leading you, you come, you respond this morning by faith. Maybe for some of you, it's that you need to plant your life here. You need to join this church and become and intentionally become a part of this body because God wants to use you and he wants to use this church in your life. You come this morning. You take one of our staff by the hand. Let us, let us receive you and help you walk through that process of joining this body and becoming a part of our church. Whatever it is, as God is prompting you, you respond this morning. Let's pray. Lord, as we, as we look now toward a time of response, a time where we actively respond to your leadership in our lives, as we actively respond as you are leading us, I pray that your conviction would draw us to those steps that we need to take, the, the decisions that we have to make. God, that you would not only point out those decisions in those areas where we need to respond, but then also, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that you would enable us to live those lives of righteousness, that we want to we be led by the Spirit. We want to sow to the Spirit so that from the Spirit we will reap eternal life. And God, we understand that your leadership is, is an essential part of that process. And Lord, today, maybe even if there's someone here who has never experienced the leadership of the Holy Spirit because the truth is they've never really surrendered their life to you, I pray that even now, through the work of your Holy Spirit, you would draw them to salvation, that they would surrender their life to you. As we stand and sing that song, that they would, that they would come forward and give their life to you, trusting you to lead them and Lord, however it is that you're leading us, would you, would you place that weight of conviction on us so that we might respond in obedience? Help us, Lord, honor you by being devoted to you first and also to each other in community. We pray this in your name, God.